And now we bring you Mary from Michigan Saves the World, the story of one young woman's search for truth in a life of peril, fortune, and fate. Recently, Mary Marshall's mother began the experimental treatment Mary's family hopes will save her life. At the same time, Mary's troubled twin sister Julia, sent away to address her psychological problems, has violently escaped from the Warrendale treatment facility, threatening to come home to settle mysterious unfinished business. Mary's friend, the loyal Scott Descombe, offers to stay with the Marshalls as long as he can, hoping to offer them protection from the dangerous and vengeful Julia. Now Mary, at the urging of both Scott and her father, has agreed to go to Chicago to interview for a job at the art museum, a lifelong dream, though she worries that to accept this invitation is to leave her family in jeopardy. Aboard the train to Chicago, Mary encounters David Price, a museum board member who makes a crude advance, which she reports at once to the man interviewing her in Chicago, Arthur Mendez. Now we hear Mr. Mendez say, You met Mr. Price on the train, I understand. Briefly. Memorably. Yes, his behavior is notorious. Well, I imagine it must be. In fact, he's widely despised. Only a man with that sort of power, that is, that sort of money, well... Did he tell you not to hire me? Mary, I'm afraid that's exactly what he told me. But, you know... He's well known for this. Uh, I, can, I can deflect him, if you're still interested in the position. Do you mean you're offering me the job? Well, I, I think it's the least we could do at this point, to be honest. And what would David Price think of that? Well, fortunately, his attention span is limited. There's always another target to aim at. I'm only sorry you had the bad luck to encounter him the way you did. An interesting coincidence, if it was a coincidence. What else could it be? I don't know. Only that it's, it's surprising, that's all. I guess it is. Although I know he does like the train. Well, at any rate, I have encountered plenty of men like Mr. Price before. All right. What did he say about me? I'd rather not repeat it, to be honest. Well, I think it's only right if you're going to offer me a job. I think I should know what he said. Well, he said you were... Uh, Mr. Price tends to fixate on certain aspects. Let's just say he found you attractive. Again, I'm, I'm so sorry. Your application is very good on its own merits. Thank you. You're interested in restoration? Yes. And why is that exactly? Tedious sort of work. Oh, I don't think so. Everything you do is progress. I like the feeling of fixing things, um, bringing things to their fullest possibility. Also, I'm meticulous. I really love it when things are neat and tidy and in order. Well, not obsessively, I don't think, but it just gives me a feeling of sort of peace and satisfaction. And when it's in the service of bringing a work of art back to its artist's original vision, I just love it. Obviously. Well, you put it all very nicely. Thank you. You've worked on paintings, mostly, I see? Uh, mostly, yes. Yeah, some marble and a little bit of textile restoration. There's a series of African-American quilts that I assisted on for a semester. Uh, the Rogers Tapestry. Yes. Oh, God, they're so beautiful. Mm. Uh, fortunately, I was only assisting, so I could basically just stare at them. You were working with Alan Barker. Yes, at the DIA. Uh, I know him a little bit. Oh, he was very nice. He just let me stare. And what is it about the quilts that moved you, if you don't mind my asking? Well, um, I, okay. So, uh, so obviously I'm white, uh, so I feel a little strange talking about this subject, but, um, and you know, Mr. Barker is African-American, um, black. So that was, uh, first of all, a sort of interesting position to be in, me learning about this series of culturally crucial artifacts at the hands of someone who's basically one of the world's experts, you know, and so, I mean, there was a lot I just didn't know about historically with that experience. Uh-huh. 
And some of the quilts he was working on were essentially biblical stories, and a lot of the story elements get reduced to these really beautiful abstractions, stars and mountains and rivers and, and you know, and angels and that sort of thing, and that was material I didn't know very well either. You're not religious. Oh, no, no, are you? Raised Catholic, so no, <laughs> not anymore. Uh, well, most of what I know about the Bible I learned in history classes. Ah, uh, well, I didn't have that luxury. Force-fed. Genesis to Revelations, Alpha to Omega. Anyway, he was wonderful, Mr. Barker. Well, like I say, I'm interested in inviting you on board, if you're still interested, after what happened on the train with Mr. Price. Oh, I am interested. Um, I do have a question about timing, I think. All right. My mother, um, she has MS, which is at a pretty advanced stage at this point. I see. I'm so sorry. She's just begun this new phase of treatment this week, and she can't, um, we can't see her because it's designed to knock out her immune system, so she's isolated for about a month, they think. Well, we can be flexible with dates, Mary. Of course we can. Oh, I know it's a lot to ask. It's not, actually. I'm sorry to hear it. Thank you. It's just not fair at all. She's been sick for a very long time. That must be difficult. Well, for her. My mother was sick for a long time a few years ago as well. She had Alzheimer's. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, thanks. She was really fun. Just a very good-hearted, good-natured person, which never changed, even as the rest of her essentially disappeared. So, I mean, yes, whatever kind of timing you're thinking, I'm sure we can make it work. Oh, thank you. I look forward to it. Quite a move for you, I guess. Chicago, big city. I guess it will be. Well, you'll enjoy it. I hope. I think so. It's close enough to home that I'll be able to get back when I need to for my mom. That's good. We just don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with her. Even coming here today was, uh... I really had to convince myself it was going to be all right. For a few reasons. So, well, thank you again. Goodbye, Mary. We'll be in touch. Yes, goodbye. Thank you. Hello, David. You've spoken to her. And? What do you think? I have to say, David, you were right. She's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Oh, there she is. John, you didn't have to pick me up. I could have just got a cab. You see any cabs around here? Uh, well, I could have walked home. Of course. At midnight. Of course, that's a wonderful idea. Walk all the way across town when you could get run over by a bunch of drunk frat boys. I never go to bed before three in the morning anyways. Well, you got the job? I got the job. <laughs> Scotty and I just screams when we got your text. We just think it's so, so amazing and like exactly zero percent surprising. And I liked him too, the head of restoration, Arthur Mendez. I'm sure he loved you. Midwestern beauty. <laughs> and this weirdo on the train, uh, David Price, I looked him up and he is creepy, Mary. Uh, what a nightmare. He looks like Vincent Price had a baby with an uglier Vincent Price. Leave it to a straight guy to try and seduce you with a creepy, porny painting, which I looked up. The guitar lesson. Oh my God. No, I mean, the guitar lesson isn't porny. It's just perverse, which Balthus was. It's actually a brilliant painting, perversely brilliant. <laughs> People look at you, Mary, and they think you're innocent. <laughs> but you're not. I mean, you're basically the opposite. You're actually super cynical. 
Oh, I don't know about that. You are. I mean, how can anyone with a brain be anything else? But you don't seem like it. Well, maybe that's on purpose. <laughs> Obviously, it's <laughs> on purpose. But barely anybody sees it. You do. Well, that's because I'm brilliant. I'm not cynical, John. You might be cynical, but I'm not. I just let people think what they're going to think. People will always show you who they are eventually, and if they think you're sort of inexperienced, well, then they'll do it right away. Because most people just want to take advantage in whatever way they can, and they are not subtle. The second they see an advantage, they pounce. See? You're not so innocent. I guess not. I just look at... You do. <laughs> That's sort of what I mean by Midwestern beauty. You don't make a show of it, but people can't help throwing themselves at you. Because they see something they think they can just swallow up. Hmm. Meanwhile, you're just watching. That's what growing up with a sister like Julia will do to you. You get smart. You get wary. No sign of her, by the way. Scott's been at your house all day keeping an eye out. He's so great. He is the greatest man ever to have been born. He should be president. Oh, maybe one day. I can be first husband. You know what else having a sister like Julia did? It made me really grateful to have smart, fun, nice friends like you. Oh, I know. <laughs> you are so sane. Well, I guess I had my own share of terribleness growing up. It helps to know how terrible people can be, doesn't it? I think so. You know, looking back, Julia was crazy from day one. But actually, it took me a long, long time to figure out how weird she was, because I didn't know anything else. She was just my sister. But she's been crazy forever. Uh, like what? <sighs> okay. In maybe third grade, Julia decided that um, Mrs. Wilkins liked me more than she liked Julia. So one day after school, Julia goes to my locker and she gets my coat out and my hat and she puts all this on and she goes into Mrs. Wilkins' class. And Mrs. Wilkins says, oh, hi, Mary, everything okay? And Julia looks her right in the face and says, you know, Mrs. Wilkins, I just wanted to tell you, you smell like tuna fish. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, which, I mean, I don't even know if Julia knew what that meant exactly, but oh... I mean, somehow she must have heard it somewhere and intuited it was something you weren't supposed to say to women and that it had something to do with, you know, mm -hmm. it was like a really nasty thing to say. But Julia's instinct was, I mean, this is something I can use. And that day, in third grade, she used it on poor, sweet old Mrs. Wilkins. And what did your teacher do? Oh, it was, I mean, it was a mess. She actually thought it was me at first. Not my parents. My parents knew what was going on. Mrs. Wilkins was just... I mean, it worked, is the thing. Julia's plan worked. Because Mrs. Wilkins never looked at me the same again. Even after Julia admitted what she'd done. So, the thing is, even while she's literally confessing her guilt, Julia can seem innocent. Wow. Oh, I am so glad that you've never met her, John. You'd think less of me. Oh, I would not marry No, you would. It has happened so, so many times. No matter how well somebody knows me, once they meet someone who looks just like me and sounds just like me, but who's obviously totally helplessly evil, people can't help it. I mean, I think it's sort of a defense mechanism, you know? Like, evolutionarily, you meet somebody and they're horrible, and you just... There's no switch in your brain that lets you go, Oh, never mind, they're twins. This one's fine, but that other one is insane. You know how she also sounds? Don't kill me. Oh, I know what you're gonna say. She sounds, like, weirdly sexy. Yeah, that's what everybody says until they meet her. Like, I think I dated a few guys like that. Well, you came to your senses. No, but there's just something irresistible about someone who's just only out for themselves. Yeah, but that's not Julia. I mean, she's 
She's not just out for herself. I mean, she is, but she's also out to hurt everyone else in the world. Especially you. Sometimes it feels like that. Right turn here. Uh, yeah, right turn. Almost there. Okay, so now Julia's all mad about something. Well, she's mad about having to go to the hospital. Yeah, among other things. I can't believe she actually stabbed that nurse. Yeah, and that's... that's new. She's never been violent before. Not like that. Maybe it just... I don't know. Maybe it was an accident. Oh my god, you're not defending her. No, no. It's more like... that's not really her style. At least it didn't used to be, but... She's never been forced to go away like that before either. The more I hear about Julia, the more grateful I am for my three big, dumb jock brothers. At least one of whom is definitely queer. Brian. Yeah, you keep saying so. I know you've never met him, but believe me, the way he used to beat me up was definitely more sympathetic than the way the others did. But even the others, they're not evil, they're just... boring. Yeah... They never tried to impersonate me. Nobody could pretend to be you, John. You're too perfect. I think Ryan Gosling does a pretty good job at it. I mean, it's not dead on, but he's pretty close. John? John? John is... Is that... John, that's my house. Oh, no. John, all those police! Oh, no! You won't want to miss the next chapter in Mary from Michigan Saves the World at this same time Monday when you'll hear Mary Marshall say... No, please, please stop, stop! That's next week on Mary from Michigan Saves the World. Mary from Michigan Saves the World features Eva Rosenwald, Lauren Bass, Matthew Webb, Ted Gibson, John Seibert, Terry Hack, and Catherine Banks as Mary Marshall. Music by Pamela Meisel. Scripts and direction by Michael Byers. This is your announcer, David Zinn, inviting you to tune in next week for the continued story of Mary Marshall's search for truth in a life of peril, fortune, and fate. This is the Empire Podcasting System.